Well, good morning. It's good to see you here this morning as we've gathered to worship our God together. If you're visiting with us, we'd like to have a record of that visit. And we would have, if you would be so kind as to sign the guest book that there is at, back there at the entrance of the auditorium. We're glad to have John Shirley and Becky Shirley and their family with us. Quite a family. What even filled the pew Sunday, and they've already got it filled. So uh, we're delighted to have them with us. Uh, John shared his ministry with us in the Sunday school hour, and then he'll be preaching in the afternoon service, so we'll look forward uh, to that. On the back of your bulletins are the announcements. I think that they are self-explanatory, but you need to read them. All right. So um, I would just mention a couple things. Ladies' Bible study is this Saturday at 9 o'clock at the home of Joe White, so keep that in mind. Uh, also, Micah and Kelsey Smith have desired to commit themselves to this assembly of God's people. Uh, their testimony, written testimony, is on the back table. Uh, please, the members of the church, please read their testimony. If you have any questions, then please see them. And uh, if those questions then go unanswered, then you can come and see me. But we're delighted to think of uh, this young couple and Lorelei uh, coming and being a part of this congregation and this assembly. We're thankful for that. They're not here today. Uh, Laura lies under the weather, so if you got questions, you might want to call them, or we'll be announcing this for a couple more weeks, so keep that in mind. And then also, just to make mention, on our website, we have a new section uh, on the website. It's called Digging Deeper. Uh, this was Micah's idea. He said, there were so many things that I want to say about the doctrine of God that, that I just don't know that I can fit into the series on the doctrine of God. And so he wrote an article. So it gives you an opportunity to read that article uh, dealing with the glory of God. So if you have the opportunity, uh, go to the website and read the new section called Digging Deeper. So keep that in mind. All right, I believe that's all the announcements that I, we have. Now as we give ourselves to the worship of our God in, in Psalm 89, the psalmist was speaking about the praise that is due to God and how he is worthy of such praise. But then he says something interesting in verse 7 of Psalm 89. He says, A God greatly feared in the counsel of the holy ones. That is, he's a God who's feared even by the angels in heaven. And awesome above all those who are around him. The worship of God in heaven is an awesome thing. And if that's true, how we must be careful not to allow our worship to become irreverent. It ought not to be boring. We're, we're here to worship God. It's about him. It's our desire that he meets with us in our time together this morning. And so will you just take a moment to prepare your hearts to meet with the true and living God.
Now, inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It's from Psalm 34. Do you all have bulletins? No? Do we have any more bulletins? Cliff? We only have one more. Everybody have one? Let's see one. All right, I think we have, we have them now. Inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It comes from Psalm 34. It is sung to the tune of Be Still My Soul, which if you want to see the music is on Trinity 579. But let us call one another to worship with the singing of this psalm together.
great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day where we can gather to glorify your name. We come this morning with great joy to praise and lift your name on high. We come with great anticipation to hear from you through your word. And we come with delight in being able to fellowship with one another and remind each other of all you have done for us. We pray, Lord, that you would be with our pastor as he opens your word. Give him strength and may he speak truth. We pray for those who are unable to be with us, that you would heal them if they are sick and bring them back to us quickly. And we thank you for all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And now in the hymns of grace, the hymns of grace hymn book number 69, day by day. And with each passing moment, number 69 in the hymns of grace.
Turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we'll be reading the first 34 verses this morning. We'll first come to a portion of text which reminds us uh, that God is with us. He knows all things and therefore knows everything that we have gone through. Many verses throughout the scriptures tell us this. As a matter of fact, in the young children's catechism, one of the questions is, where is God? And the answer is, God is everywhere. And we're reminded in Psalm 39 that we can't go anywhere without God being there. Jeremiah 23 reminds us, God himself says, um, I go wherever, I'm there. You can't do anything without me seeing, basically. Um, Proverbs chapter 15, we're told that God is always watching and he sees both the righteous and the unrighteous. And so this morning as we read, we will be reminded of that by Christ, that God is always watching and we have nothing to worry about when he has saved us and adopted us into his family. And then he goes into um, warning us and talking about covetousness and making sure that we are uh, not being covetous, but we are also being uh, kind and free, freely giving with what he has blessed us with. So if you will read with me Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Meanwhile, when many thousands of the crowd had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing is secret that will not be made known. So then whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms will be proclaimed from the housetops. I tell you, my friend, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom you should fear. Fear the one who, after killing, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies and yet one of them is not one of them is forgotten by God? In fact, even the hairs on your head are all numbered, so do not be afraid. You are more valuable than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before God's angels. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before God's angels. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the person who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. But when they bring you before the synagogues, the rulers, and the authorities, do not worry about how you should make your defense or what you should say. The Holy Spirit will teach you at that moment what you must say. Then someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator between you two? And then he said to them, Watch out. And guard yourself from all types of greed, because one's life does not consent, consist in the abundance of possessions. 
He then told them a parable. The land of a certain rich man produced an abundant crop. So he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of goods stored up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and celebrate. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded back from you. But who will get what you have prepared for yourself? So it is with the one who stores up riches for himself, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body and what you will wear. For there is more to life than food, and more to the body than clothing. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add an hour to your life? So if you cannot do such a very little thing as this, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the flowers grow. They do not work or spin, and yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these. And if this is how God clothes the wild grass, which is here today and tomorrow, tossed into the fire to heat the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you people of little faith? So do not be overly concerned about what you will eat, what you will drink, and do not worry about such things. For all the nations of the world pursue these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, pursue his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father is well pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide yourselves purses that do not wear out, a treasure in heaven that never decreases, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This morning as we seek our God together in prayer once again, we especially want to pray for the Stearns. That's Ryan and Aaron, and I think there are seven children, I think number eight's on the way, who are leaving the Middle East and coming back to the States, and he's been called to be one of the pastors at the Arbor Church there in Dayton, Ohio. We've had the privilege of being partners with them while they've been in the Middle East, but now that season is over and they're coming back here, and we pray God will use them now for the good of his kingdom there in that part of our country together. So we want to pray for the Stearns. We also want to pray this coming week, Tuesday and Wednesday, is the Reformed Baptist Pastors Fellowship in Grand Rapids, Michigan, for those two days, there will be pastors gathering together. So we want to pray that God would meet with us, that we would be an encouragement one to another. Pastor Borgman from Nevada will be opening the Word of God, so pray God will use him also during this week at the conference. Let's seek our God together in prayer.
Our Father in heaven, what a privilege, what a delight it is to be part of a kingdom that never fades away. To be part of a kingdom whose king rules over all things. And Father, we pray that as the people of God, we would do as we have been admonished to do in your word this morning, to seek first that kingdom knowing that all these other things will be added unto us. We often find ourselves distracted by so many other things. We find ourselves enamored by those things which are temporal and not eternal. We find ourselves giving so much time in order that we might possess those things that will not last. Father, how we pray that as your word was read to us this morning, we would take heed to these things and that we would be marked out as a people who truly seek first the kingdom of God. Father, we're thankful for your work that's being done around the world. Thank you even for the privilege of having the Shirleys with us today and for the work and ministry you've given them with orphans. Pray your blessing would be upon that work and that many orphans would be rescued and that many of them, upon hearing the gospel, that, Father, you would grant unto them faith and repentance and even become a part of this wonderful kingdom. And, Father, we pray as well that you would be with the Stearns now as they make the transition back to the States. Thank you for their many years of faithfully serving you there in the Middle East. And we just pray that you would help them in the midst of this transition, saying goodbye to friends there in the Middle East and then coming back home. We thank you for the Arbor Church there in Dayton and pray that they would be a benefit to the people of God there in that place. Father, we pray that you might use him as a good shepherd, a faithful shepherd to the people of God there, along with the other elders that labor in that place. And we're thankful that though that partnership in the Middle East comes to an end, that that our dear brother is still going to be laboring with us in the gospel as he becomes a part of that church who we've been friends with for so many years. We bless you for that. Father, we would ask that you would draw near to us this morning as your word is opened up. We need your spirit to give us understanding of that word. We need your spirit to help us to rightly apply that word to our hearts and lives. And and Father, we would even ask that this morning that some who may sit among us, who know you not, that even today would be a day of salvation Father, we pray that your word would penetrate their hearts and break those stony hearts and give them hearts of flesh. Father, may we rejoice in seeing you add to your kingdom. And therefore, Father, we pray that today the gospel would be sounded not only here but around the world and and that there would be many who would receive it and know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So meet with us, we pray, to that end. As we ask these things in Christ's name, amen. Now before we come to open the Word of God, take your Trinity hymn books once again, turning to hymn number 366, 366, 
the hymn that speaks of the stewardship that we have because of God's mercy towards us as we live in this world. Trinity 366. Let's stand together as we sing. seated. This morning in our continued study through the book of Deuteronomy, we find ourselves in Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy chapter 25. And as we come to this portion of Scripture, starting in verse 17 and going through chapter 26 and verse 15, we have Moses, what I would call bringing to an end the heart of his message that he began back in chapter 5 to the children of Israel uh, before they were to go into the promised land. In fact, when you come to the end of the passage that we're looking at this morning, chapter 26, And verse 16, Moses says this, This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes, these ordinances. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. So so as we have made our way 
through this message of Moses, we've noticed that what he's doing, starting there in chapter 6, has been opening up in greater detail the ten words that he rehearsed back in Deuteronomy chapter 5. He's opening them up in greater detail. And so this morning, we come to his exposition on the tenth word, which is, Thou shall not covet. Thou shall not covet. Now this is different than the last four commandments that he has opened up. The last four commandments set before us what we're not to do, what actions we're not to take, we're not to murder, we're, we're not to commit adultery, we're not to steal, we're not to bear false witness. But when it comes to this tenth commandment, it is a commandment that goes straight to the heart. It's a commandment that doesn't necessarily shine a light on a new class of sin. Rather, it is a commandment that points to the root of sin. Coveting. Coveting. This commandment shines a light upon our self-centeredness. It shines a light upon our discontentment. It shines a light on our unhappiness. It shines a light on our greediness. In this commandment, Moses, as God's mouthpiece, reminds us of the sinfulness of our lives because of our selfish natures as we live in this world. And it's oftentimes because we are coveting that we murder. It is because we covet that we commit adultery. It's because we covet that we steal. It's because we covet that we bear false witness. And Moses is telling the children of Israel, as you go into this promised land, and as you begin to occupy that land, remember, we've said this many times, God says to them, I want you to be a distinct people. I don't want you to be like other nations. You're to be different. And one of the ways that you're going to be different is you're going to guard yourself against having a heart that covets. 
And so what we have here in Deuteronomy 25, starting at verse 17 and going through chapter 26 and verse 15, Moses is giving the people, I believe, some remedies or some preventive medicine to help them not to have a heart that covets. And he does so by setting before us certain customs and practices that they were to engage in that we don't necessarily engage in today, but the principles found in these practices are very helpful for us to keep from having a heart that covets. And so as we come to open up this passage together, the first prescription given to us by Moses is that we need to be a people who focus on the fear of God. You need to be a people who live in the fear of God. Follow as I read, starting in verse 17. Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt? How he met you along the way and attacked you and all the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary and did not fear God? And he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memories of Amalek from under the heaven. You must not forget. The interesting thing is that as you read through this passage of Scripture, there is a statement that is said over and over again. It's said here in verse 25. It's said in verse 1 of chapter 26, verse 3, verse 9, verse 10, verse 17. That He's constantly reminding them that this land that you're going to possess is not something that you have earned. It is not even something you deserve. But it is something by God's grace and His goodness that He's giving to you. Look there at verse 19. He says of chapter 25, The land which the Lord your God, Yahweh your God, gives you as an inheritance. And He'll repeat that again and again. The land that you have, was given to you by the grace of God. And when you get in that land, I want to remind you of the Amalekites. And particularly, I want to remind you of their attack against you. We read about this attack in Numbers chapter 13, I mean, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. The, the children of Israel ha, have just left Egypt. 
a place where they've been in bondage. And they're leaving Egypt. They're weary. They're tired. They've been slaves. And as they're leaving, the Amalekites attack. Most of you are familiar with this attack because it was during this attack that Moses is told he's got a staff. Remember that? And as long as he holds up his hands, Israel will prevail. But when his hands go down, the Amalekites will prevail. And so what happens? Aaron and Hur hold his hands up during this attack. It's the first bit of warfare that the children of Israel experience as they leave Egypt. Now, when we come to Deuteronomy 25, Moses tells us about an event that takes place in that attack that is not recorded for us in Exodus 17. Apparently, at the beginning of this attack, the Amalekites came up from the rear. And at the back of all the children of Israel were the weak, the faint, or as Moses says, the stragglers. The stragglers. And this took place before the main battle that we read about in Exodus 17. And here in Deuteronomy 25, Moses makes it clear that such a cowardly attack took place. And he tells us why it took place. Why would the Amalekites engage in such an evil activity? God cares about the vulnerable, the orphans, the widows, and and the stragglers. Why would the Amalekites have the nerve to now attack them in, in this wicked way? And Moses tells us they do it Why? Because they do not fear God. There is no thought of God. Everything they do was self-serving. Everything they engaged in, they did for self-benefit. It was all about themselves and they had no thought of of God and Moses reminds the children of Israel about this very fact. And in doing so, I believe Moses is reminding them when you go into the land of promise, that land flowing with milk and honey, and as you begin to occupy that land, And I give you rest. Blot out, he says, blot out the memory of Amalek. I don't believe he's telling them, when you go into the land and I give you rest, then I want you to destroy the Amalekites. That that instruction's already been given to them. 
when you go into the land, one of the battles you're going to have is with the Amalekites. And when you do, Exodus 17, you're to destroy them. You're to wipe them out. And then when I give you rest, get rid of all their customs, get rid of all their ideas, get rid of everything about them, and you be a people. And remember, that's what he says here, you must not forget, what? To fear me, to live in that land, and remember God. That, that He watches over all you do. You're to live in the fear of God. What's the fear of God? Well, I found this in some old notes. And I must confess, I don't know if it's my definition or if it's somebody else's definition. Because I didn't put a name with I had it written down on a piece of paper. So... I don't want to take credit where credit isn't due, but it, it may have been something I wrote. I don't know. But, but here's what I say the fear of God is. The fear of God means I live my life recognizing that there is one true and holy God who inspects, whose inspection I am constantly under who's hearing all that I say and who will one day judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. It is living every day knowing I'm under the inspection of God. God sees everything that I do and He hears everything that I say. And one day, all that will be revealed. The things we thought was done in secret will be made clear. And so to live in the fear of God means I want, as one man has said, I want to live every day with God watching everything I do. And I want Him to smile. I don't want to live my life in a way that when, when God sees me, He frowns. That's living in the fear of God. The Amalekites did not do that. And God calls upon His people to be a people who live in the fear of God. When you get into that, into that promised land, do not forget your God. And have we heard that before? Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And see if these words sound familiar. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 10. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to them to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, huge cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, you eat and are satisfied. I mean, doesn't that sound wonderful? Wow. But here's the warning. 
then watch yourselves that you do not forget Yahweh who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. What does he say? You shall fear the Lord your God and you shall worship Him and swear by His name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God is in the midst of who is in the midst of you is a jealous God. God is there. God is there. And so one of the remedies or prescriptions to keep us from coveting and to keep us from self-centeredness and keep us from being greedy and keep us from being dissatisfied and grumbling and complaining about possessions we don't have or about our lot in life and about what's going on with our circumstances. What keeps us from that is the realization that God always is there in our midst watching everything that I do and everything that I say. Don't live your life void of God. And in the providence of God, we read this morning in our consecutive reading, Luke chapter 12, and we were reminded of such a thing. Where the farmer has a bumper crop. And even as Jason was reading that this morning, did you notice how many times the farmer said this, I will, I will, I will. He never gave any thought to the one who controls all things. Why, why did you have a bump, bumper crop? Why wasn't there a drought? Because of God. What makes you think you can build bigger barns? How do you know there won't be a shortage of lumber and the prices of, price of wood would skyrocket and what you thought you might do, you can't do because you can't afford it? There's a God. And whatever we do, we ought not to forget that reality. When I'm in my home... When I'm at the workplace, when I'm just engaged in social activities, when I'm all by myself and nobody else is around and nobody else can see what I'm engaged in, what I'm doing, God is there. God is there. And when you walk into your room, maybe children, maybe some of you adults do it, I don't know. But you know when you walk into your room like this, because you're not happy, and you slam the door, and you begin saying things. Oh, Mommy and Daddy are so mean. They, they don't do it. And you think, I'm getting away with this because nobody knows. God's there. God's there. And you know why we, why we engage in evil things? You know why we murmur and complain about our circumstances? You, you know why we get jealous? 
Because someone has something that we wish we had? Because we forget God. We forget God. And the children of Israel are warned. Don't you do that. Do not forget. And even though I don't think there's anyone here who woke up this morning and were fearful that the Amalekites might attack, the principle's still true. We serve a living God who is in our midst, sees everything we do, and knows everything we say. In fact, He even knows what we think. You know that? He knows what you think. So if there's anybody here thinking, huh, this sermon's boring. God knows that. I may not know that. God knows that. So focus upon fearing God. Secondly, we've got to move quickly. The, the second prescription or remedy is acknowledge the goodness of God. Acknowledge the goodness of God. Starting in verse 26 and reading through verse 11, it's, it's an interesting portion of Scripture. There's not, a, there's not necessarily a lot of instructions given to us in these 11 verses, but we do have a lot of recitations, what, what they are to say. In this, that's why it's so long. But starting in verse one, and and, and this, and, and I think what Moses is now setting before the children of Israel is, is also a, a means by which they are going to be constantly reminded that there is a God. You know, we, we come to the Lord's table. Why? So so that we remember of Christ accomplished upon the cross. Well, in performing these practices, the children of Israel are going to be forced to remember, they're going to be forced to remember there is a God. There is a Yahweh, a living God. So verse 1, And it shall be when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, and you possess it and live in it, that you shall take some of the first of all your produce of the ground which you bring in from your land that the Lord your God gives you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish His name. And you shall go to the priest who's in the office at that time and say to him, I declare this day to the Lord my God, I have entered the land which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. And then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My, my father was a wandering Aramean. And he went down to Egypt and sojourned there few in number. But there, but, there, but there he became a great and mighty and populous nation. And the Egyptians treated us harshly, afflicted us, imposed hard labor on us. 
Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction and our toil and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with great terror, and with signs and wonders. And He brought us to the place and has get, that He has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now behold, I have brought the first of the produce of the ground which the Lord has given to me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship the Lord your God. And you and the Levite and the alien who is among you shall rejoice in all the good which the Lord your God has given you and your household. So here's the practice. Any produce, when it's harvested, you're to take the first of that produce and in your home, you're to have a basket. And you're to take the first fruit and you're to put it in the basket. So whatever it is, whether it comes out of your orchard, whether it comes out of your garden, or whether it comes out of your field, the first of the produce is to be cut and put in this basket. And then when you make your trip during the times of feast to the temple the place where God is chosen, which would by and by be Jerusalem, you're to take that basket and you're to present it to God. You're to give it to the priest as an offering to God. And notice, here's what you're to say. And did you notice the progression? We were sojourners, few in number. And we came to Egypt, and we came a, a, a great nation, a populous nation. And then, it's interesting, did you, did you notice the intensity of, of the words that are spoken here? He says, we became a great, a mighty, and, and a populous nation. You know Great wasn't enough. No, there's got to be more adjectives. We were not only a great nation. We were a mighty nation. We were a populous nation. And then he says, and the Egyptians treated us harshly. But that's not enough. Not only did they treat us harshly, they afflicted us. They imposed hard labor upon us. I mean, can you hear the intensity of it? Why are you using so many words? And it's like most, well, because you need to describe really what's going on. How you were mistreated. And then we cried to the Lord. And the Lord, and the, we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice. Is that enough? No, not only did He hear our voice, He saw our affliction. Not only did He see our affliction, He saw our toil, and He saw our oppression. <laughs> you, you, get, you get the picture here? And then the Lord brought us out of Egypt. How did He do that? Well, He did it with a mighty arm. Is that enough? No, 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 no. He did it with a mighty hand, an outstretched arm. And not only that, there was great terror and with signs and wonders. I, I just found it interesting as you read through this how... Again, this didn't just happen once. It was to be done yearly. 
So it's not like we bring the first fruits once and we sit on the basket and we rehearse, God, this is what you've done for us. You brought us out of Egypt with your, with your mighty hand and, and your outstretched arm. When, when we were treated harshly and afflicted, they, they were to be reminded over and over and over again about the goodness of God toward them. How, how good God has been toward them. And what is, when, when we think of the goodness of, instead of thinking about what we don't have, Instead of thinking about how difficult our circumstances are and, and how we think it's unfair that we're going through something, we ought to think about how great and good our God is. And when people are convinced with the greatness and the goodness of God, what comes forth? Worship. To God be the glory, great things He hath done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son. And dear people, in, in evangelical churches, we're trying to come up with all kinds of fangled new programs and ideas because people are bored. And who are they bored with? God. God just doesn't excite them. And I believe that many a pastor experiences burned out because they're trying to constantly think of newfangled things that will keep the attention of God's people because God isn't enough. And if God's not enough to excite you, and if God's not enough for this assembly, then let's just stop meeting. God has been good. And I know whatever you're going through, and some of you are going through some difficult days, hard days, and I wouldn't make light of them. But if you're a child of God, if you've been united to Christ by faith, my friend, God has been better to you than you deserve. Because our sin separates us from God. And God, by His mercy and by His grace, sent His only Son to redeem us. And so why I, I don't believe anybody this morning brought a basket of first fruits that you're going to set here and say, here, I want to offer this to the Lord. We need to constantly be reminding ourselves of the goodness of our God. How often do you think about how good God has been to you? Do you spend more time grumbling and murmuring? about your lot in life than you do about praising and worshiping a God who's been better to you than you deserve. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not with Him freely give us all things? God gives us all that we need. So to keep us from having hearts that covet, 
We need to focus upon the fear of God. We need to acknowledge the goodness of God. And then finally, we need to depend upon the blessings of God. We need to depend upon the blessings of God. Look at verse 12. He goes on to say, chapter 26, When you finish paying all your tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, then you shall give it to the Levite, to the stranger, to the orphan, to the widow, that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. You shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion from my house, and also I have given it to the Levi and to the alien and the orphan and the widow according to all your commandments, which you have commanded me. And I have not transgressed or forgotten any of your commandments. I have not eaten of it while mourning, nor have I removed any of it while I was unclean, nor offer any of it to the dead." I have listened to the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people, Israel, and the ground which you have given us, a land flowing with milk and honey as you swore to our fathers." Here he talks about another practice that they were to engage in. They, they were to bring a tithe of all of their produce and, and of all they had. They were to bring a tithe to the temple and, and offer that to the Lord. That would be a lot. And you were to use that to, to feed and to care for the Levites and the priests and so forth. That's what they were to be engaged in. It's interesting, you know, if I ask you, what do you have that doesn't belong to God? What do you have that doesn't belong to God? Most of you would say, everything I have belongs to God. Right? And and I find it interesting that you know what God says? I just want a tenth. God could say, I want it all. He says, just give me a tithe. Give me a tenth. But what happens is every third year, you you were to take that tithe and you weren't to bring it to the temple, but you were to bring it to your local synagogue. And then that would be used locally for the orphans and the widows and, and, and those who were in need. It's just a reminder of of all that God has given to us. And, And it's also a reminder that we need God's blessing. We, we are a people dependent upon Him. Now, now you notice, as we read through that, and I can't go into detail here, but, but again, what they're to say, you know, we, we, we've sought to be faithful to all of our duties. We, we've obeyed Your commandments. We, we've not been improper with regard to what we've done with the things that You've given to us. It, it, it's, it's an expression of worship and gratitude that we give to You, our God. That's what it is. That's what the tithe was about. God doesn't even need your tithe. Now, some of you say, oh, good, because I'm not going to give it. But anyway, God, God doesn't need that. But it's just an expression of our worship to God. 
It, it's giving to God. When, when we give, we give to God. And then we use it for the advancement of His kingdom. But, but it's part of our worship. I didn't mean to get into this, but even, I mean, though we never take an offering here. Some of you might have noticed that. But, but I think it's one of the things we miss is that our giving is part of our worship. And, and I must say, I'm guilty of this. You know, throw the check in the box and then get ready for the worship service without thinking about, this is part of my worship to God. This is how I worship God and what I give to Him. But, but here again, as we read down through this, at the end, there is this prayer that they pray, and they acknowledge we need God's blessing. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the ground which you have given us, a land flowing with milk and honey as you swore to your forefathers. This was a land that we're going to be stewards of. This is a land you've given to us. And as you've given this land to us, may we be good stewards and may you bless the labors of our hand for your glory. And that's ought to be our prayer. Lord, whatever I have, whatever possessions are mine, whatever my bank account is, whatever my house looks like, whatever I'm driving, Lord, these things are yours. Would you bless and use them for your glory? How often do you think about getting it, and, and I'm guilty of this, getting into the car and, and not stopping and thinking, you know what? I only have this car because God has blessed. When was the last time you looked at your bank account and said, this is God's doing? This isn't mine. And, and that's true whether you have a little in that bank account or you have a lot in that bank account. This is God's doing. And Lord, if we're going to continue on, we need your blessing. We need your help. We need to continually pray. This, this language of dependence. Lord, Look down upon us from your habitation and bless your people. Bless your people. That's why, that's why we still have prayer meeting in this place. That's, that's, if you don't know what a prayer meeting is, that's, that's something, it's a relic, but, but we still do it. Why? Because prayer is the language of dependence. We acknowledge our dependence upon God. So we gather together even corporately to pray. Because we recognize we're dependent upon Him. So here we have these three prescriptions given to us by Moses so that we will be a people that live with a spirit of contentment, a, a, a spirit of happiness. Focus on the fear of God. Acknowledge the goodness of God and depend upon the blessings of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't even know God. 
you're like the Amalekites. You've given very little thought of God. Who is this God? I'll tell you about this God. He is a holy God. He, he is without sin. He, he is so holy, He can't even look upon sin. And we are people who are sinful. We've all sinned. Even this commandment, thou shalt not covet. Paul said it's because of this commandment that I came to realize I'm a sinner because I covet. We're sinners. And sin separates us from God. There, there's this separation between me and God. And, and how, can that be, how can that be brought together? How, how can a holy God ever have a relationship with a sinful people? What's your plan? How's that going to happen? And you can try to come up with a plan. Come up with your own remedy. It won't work. <laughs> you need a Savior. And God came up with a plan, and His plan was to send His only Son. And His own Son came to earth, became a man, just like all of us, yet without sin. He never sinned. Yet He went to a cross. And on that cross, He took the sins of His people. He died for them. He was punished on their behalf so that now any of us who turn away from our sins and come to Christ in faith to be united with Him, to put our trust in Him, God says, through Christ, you can be reconciled to Me. I have a relationship with God, not because of who I am or what I've done. I have a relationship with God because of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And how about you? Do you know this God? You will one day stand before Him. One day, that knee will bow before Him. And if you don't know Him, it will be the worst day of your life. And if you do know Him, one day you'll experience a glory that's yet to be revealed. And so as we bring this to a close, you who are here this morning and unconverted, you, you don't know God. I'm telling you, today you can know Him. We're not going to ask you to jump through hoops. We're not going to ask you to do anything except right now just have dealings with God. Acknowledging your sin. And trust Christ. And if you are one of God's children, then live in the fear of God. Don't forget His goodness. And depend upon Him always. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank You for Your Word and how we pray that You would bless the Word to do us all good. You, you know our hearts. You know everyone here. And You know our heart's condition. And how we pray that even today there would be some who perhaps have sat 
here week after week, month after month, year after year, but are still, still lost. May today they run to Christ. And Father, how we pray that you would help us as the people of God to so live as we ought. We live in a wicked world. We're we're seduced by so many things around us. But Father, how we pray that we might be a people who fear you. That we might acknowledge your goodness and our dependence upon you for all things. So Father, by your Spirit this morning, take your word and use it in hearts and lives for your glory and honor. As we ask these things in Christ's name, amen. Well, as Israel would be a steward of the promised land, so we're stewards of all that God has given to us. Take your hymns of grace as we close this service. Hymns of grace, 393. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. 393. Let's stand together as we sing.
afternoon service about 145. And again, John Shirley will be preaching in that service. So hope you'll stay. If not, you're going to leave. Come back, 145, and we'll worship together again. You are